Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. And this week we're going to be talking about 11001001. And Paul, I'm impressed that you got uh, the order of, of the binary correct, uh, because this is... I never know what to call this episode. It's always just um, binary. Could also go with 201, which I also almost did, which is what this converts to in base 10, the binary of it. I learned something today. And um, <laughs> someone else who's along for the journey of fun and knowledge uh, is Pat Boberg. Pat, thanks for joining us on the show. I was told there would be no math. <laughs> I, uh, I get told that too, and it's always a lie. <laughs> so wait till the next episode when it's all in hex. <laughs> oh boy. Boy, we're, we're really really putting that lure out there um so the eight and what else we got base four not really anything that's we covered everything the plan is we're just gonna let him go folks we're just gonna let him keep talking um the binary title of this uh of this episode references the binars uh who are featured prominently in this episode and never again it's (laughs) uh another one of those episodes sensing a pattern yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, for starters, like initial impressions of this episode before we get into the recap, uh, the one thing that struck me uh, this time when I watched it, I've been watching the HD, uh, you know, treatments of uh, season one. They're on Netflix, they're on Hulu, um, you know, you can get them on Blu-ray. Uh, this episode is really pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's some yeah. really good looking shots uh, right away, too, as they establish the approach to the Starbase. And... Um, I, I'm just a sucker for anything that includes, like, you know, the, the Star Trek traditional Starbase. Um, sure. I think that's just such a cool, like, concept because they have these ships and they sell the size of the ships pretty well. And then you see that ship go into this giant, you know, massive uh, dock that's got multiple starships within it. And you just, it, it creates this sense of scale, which I think Star Wars is really good at, but Star Trek is sometimes not as as great at and so i thought that was a cool this place is not to really the only time you do or if you see like a shuttle pod or something really small but mm-hmm. yeah you, you never really see it like that because they're never out in like a spacesuit repairing the outside of the, the enterprise as far as i'm concerned is that well, am i wrong no no i know i think you're right and and um it's also if they're next to a planet or something really hard to get a feel for um right the mm-hmm. scale because they could be kind of far away from it you don't know how close they are so how to scale that distance so yeah. yeah, there's very few other things they could put next to the Enterprise, um, and and I, th- I that's probably where where the point is. They have to either be flying into it, or something has to be flying into the Enterprise to really make sure you know how far apart things are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this episode features the Enterprise um, returning to space dock or or or, uh, or st- you know starbase or whatever you want to call it. Um, they're delayed, uh, and that, that's a kind of a throwaway line, but it'll, it'll come back later. Um, they, they do a really good job at planting a lot of these really nice seeds of things that will come up later in these small throwaway lines. Um, and that, that is a great one of, yeah, we were delayed and, Mm -hmm. and you don't think about it on the first time through. And there's a ton of stuff that you could pick up on a second watch through this that, uh, you're like, oh, wow, that is important. And and we'll get to it. We'll get to why that is important much, much later. Well, and this might be the first episode that we recommend you watch not once but twice, I guess. Because uh, yep. there, there's a good... Very, very possibly, yeah. <laughs> there's that good uh, trail of, of breadcrumbs. But uh, the Enterprise docks, um, 
they even that scene and the way that it's it's put together i feel like they do a good job of of kind of selling that this is a big deal you know that this is a giant ship coming in they've got all the procedures on the checklist that people are audibly you know ticking off or whatever and then you know you hear the as the ship you know finally lands in its docking spy uh space and then um you know we're off into the episode we uh we see the crew kind of go in different directions, which is kind of fun. Like, everybody's got their own, you know, shore leave, I want to do, meh, kind of thing. Um, and Picard and Riker, uh, before they go to their leisure activities, uh, are greeted by Commander Quinteros uh, and the Binars. And we're, we're off also, into the meat of this episode. Also known as Evil Picard, because he... <laughs> Looks just like Picard, but has a goatee. <laughs> he's also really negative. He's he seems like everything he says, you don't. He's he's like spiteful. Oh, yeah, yeah. A week late. He's like, well, these are the binars. They work in pairs, and it's like, don't you know that already? That Why don't you thing? ask them? He he. The whole time he had that look uh, on his face, like the you know, like the get off my lawn look. Like it just doesn't matter what it's you're gonna say goatee. to him. It's a space goatee. <laughs> and maybe, maybe they told him when they started the episode. Maybe, maybe the original draft of this script was that he was evil Picard, because <laughs> <laughs> he not only looks it, but he sells the part uh, in the way that he's he's we acting. Have had, we have had some episodes that like big plot lines got scrapped so far, right? When we, we look at what happened in the writing, that would be great if he he was the original villain, and then it just didn't work because right that would not work in the slightest. But no, no, someone just put that in their back pocket and said, eventually we'll make a movie out of evil Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was nice. gonna be that was gonna nice. be Star Trek Seven originally. <laughs> Fantastic. The wrath of Evil Picard. Yep. Uh, so Evil Picard, uh, which I guess we can call Commander Quinteros uh, for the rest of the episode. Uh, he and the Binars are they're on a mission to uh, to basically give the Enterprise an overhaul, um, which I thought was an interesting like place to start because the Enterprise was supposedly this like state of the art vessel, right? Like one of the big differences between Next Generation and the original series is original series the Enterprise was something like twenty years old when we start uh, with Captain Kirk uh, in command. So the ship has a lot of history. Um, it's got you know some use to it. There's some wear and tear. So uh, they try to sell you know that end of it. The Enterprise is totally different. It's literally like the hull was just spit shined and it was just let out of the uh, you know the starbase in the first episode. Their very first mission, the very first chance to test the ship is you know the pilot episode um so it seems interesting that like halfway through the first season they're already like these computers are old we gotta we gotta upgrade them i guess uh it's just like when you release a new uh smartphone you need you know you realize that your operating software has something wrong with it or it doesn't actually allow you to talk when you're on calls so uh, they realized that after they took the plastic protection off every screen on the enterprise are you saying they they had they built in planned obsolescence into the enterprise so that (laughs) That i kind of love (laughs) <laughs> even though even though currency doesn't exist in this utopian Starfleet society, they still <laughs> built in things that needed to be fixed eventually. Maybe Evil Picard did it just so they would come visit. Oh, genius. <laughs> this subtext can run throughout the entire episode if you let it. Uh, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and so the, the Binars are kind of a, a fascinating, like, people. And it is kind of sad that this is, and, and I did review just to make sure, but this is the only episode that you get a chance to see the Binars or even hear the word Binars or, uh, you know, any references to the Binars culture. It's pretty much it. Um, but they're, they're a people that are so dependent upon the technology on their planet um, that they they've changed their entire way of life, their entire way of thinking, their entire way of communicating. 
Uh, so much so that at one point, you know, it piques Wes's curiosity, and that's when, you know, Commander Kinteros gets grumpy with, with Wesley again, you know, because he says, you know, what is that noise that they're making? Why not ask them? You know, thanks. That's helpful. Well, that was also um, the the thing about them is their inner, their inner like, connection with their home computer planet is, like, uh, very Star Trek-y and very, uh, you know, sci-fi fan love where it's it's something interesting and it's almost an allegory for uh you know being too connected with uh, computers whereas starfleet is almost a couple steps away from that because they're so dependent on the computer on their ship and it becomes a very uh not exactly them versus the computer in this episode but it's certainly something they can't get over without help from another sentient computer and mm-hmm. and uh, data eventually but uh, i mean the binars are lockstep with their home computer and and it comes off actually um almost the the sort of proto borg yes right? that there's a lot exactly. of seeds that feel very borgish um, it's like if the board decided not to assimilate every other planet, they'd be the binars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I didn't pick up on um, the angle that you know, kind of the allegories or the or the words of warning for for Starfleet. But you raise a good point that, especially in you know TNG onward, there's a lot of reliance on on the computer to do all kinds of things, and a lot of plots revolve around ah the main computer shot. I we don't know how to space anymore. You know, and it's, it's, uh, yeah, they, they are very, very dependent. And I think there are a lot of tones of that in this episode that, um, you know, be wary of the amount of reliance that you place on technology. Um, and your affection for it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, so before we get to what the binars are doing, um, you know, and, and where the episode takes off, we have a few scenes of people just like scattering to the winds and doing their, uh, their shore leave thing. Riker and Picard have the conversation in the turbo lift about what they do, and Riker brings up the whole like, I don't have any plans, YOLO, you know. <laughs> and we're treated I think to it's the opposite of YOLO. Is it? I don't know what YOLO is. Because uh, uh, Beverly Crusher, she's like, I'm only going to meet this guy once on this starship. I got to take advantage. Where yeah, he's you're like, right. I'm going to hang out in the holodeck. Yeah, you know, I can do that any day I'm in space. But instead, guess what? Beverly is YOLOing. <laughs> Riker is just like. Meh. We'll get to it tomorrow. He's literally settling on his vacation. <laughs> he decided on a staycation on a ship that he normally can never leave. That's <laughs> Shortly yeah. well, for him is a simulation. Yeah. He does. He wanders around. He's like, well, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, something else. And then they wander off. And he's just like, well, I guess I'll find the next group of people and see what they're doing. But he, he definitely comes off as someone looking for something to do and not having any plans. Yep, exactly. Because he runs into. Can I say before we get into each person, um, this is like a weird thing off the beginning. Is Picard is overly positive to everybody? Like he keeps saying "good job," and then like right before him and Riker, uh, like break, he says uh, "good job number one." And there's like this moment of like, uh, like, like they're staring into each other's eyes almost, like they expect some soft jam to come up. But uh, it's. Well. It's just a little awkward here and there as everybody breaks for shore leave, especially the Beverly Crusher, uh, like moments of five seconds of nobody talking. <laughs> but uh, either way, I just love overly positive Picard because it hasn't really happened too much. Well, and there was a weird part at the beginning that reminds me of um, like he praises them for bringing the ship in. <laughs> yes. Um, because <laughs> and it seems like they bring the ship in manually. Yeah. Can is. Like, could you not pro- like? Would you want to actually be doing that? Can't you program that on autopilot to just be like, "Hey, there's a stationary space station. We need to be inside it. Computer, put the ship there." 
Like, well, wouldn't the space station want to take over via tractor beam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. guess what? We're going to make sure you don't like jam into us yeah, and yeah, kill several people by having them sucked into the vacuum. <laughs> Punch it to full impulse and like, whoops. Because imagine, if you will, for a moment, uh, a ship that's you know as massive as the Enterprise crashing into the inside of a structure that's even more massive and as massive yeah. as the starbase how many people will be killed uh you know lots uh yeah so they'd be like a jj abrams star trek movie all of a sudden oh, Ooh. Yeah, into darkness all over again Ugh. Uh. shots fired Shots fired. Yeah, he is. Um, I, I, I didn't make a note of that, unfortunately, but I do remember now being struck by that, that, that Picard's tone is just weirdly positive for no discernible reason. Um, well, his break, his shore leave is to just take some um, ecstasy and walk around the ship. So. <laughs> and telling space everyone. ecstasy, whatever futuristic ecstasy there is. <laughs> I just like the fact that if he's on X, he just wanders around and tells people good job. <laughs> I think that's that's really cute in a way. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, we're joking, but I feel like there are some episodes that are basically that plot later, right? There are some Star Trek episodes that are basically the crew takes ecstasy and then wanders around the ship. <laughs> well, we we talked about one of those episodes already. I mean, that's essentially the plot well, yeah, of the, yeah. the Naked Now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It comes up again, but I might be wrong. Yeah. So um, Picard's going to do his Mr. Burns impersonation, you know, uh, from the X-Files Simpsons episode and wander around and say, I bring you love. And everybody else is... Um, the, you know, they're busy. Uh, Riker runs into Worf and uh, Yar, and they're going to play some Parisi squares. Name drop, name check. First mm. time we see Parisi squares mentioned. Um, and it's it's another one of those great... So they, they do a great balance here. We've already mentioned the kind of seeds that they're planting. Um, and along with those seeds, they're planting all these red herrings. Um, and and, and Parisi squares, I think, is, is one of the best of them. But um, you think, oh, wow, that's going to be important. Like, we're going to get to see what Parisi squares are. Um, and if you're a Trek fan, like, like you hear it and, and you immediately are like, okay, I want to see them do this. Maybe this is the episode. Uh, and it turns out to be nothing. It's just a throwaway uh, conversation that's kind of interesting. But it's a red herring of what actually is going to happen in the episode. Yep. Yep. It does give us a, to, a chance to get a, a signature piece of Wharf dialogue from that oh, yeah. exchange, though. <laughs> yes, it does. I can't talk you into coming with us. No, we win, all right? The pride of the Enterprise goes with you. Rest assured, Commander, we will be victorious at whatever the cost. Wharf, it's just a game, a friendly little competition. You work up a sweat, you have a few laughs, and you make new friends. If winning is not important, then, Commander, why keep score? And I just love how, you know... He's just so matter of fact about it to the point where they have that conversation afterwards where they're like, wait, is he kidding? <laughs> like, is he is that for real? Or we don't know. Shrug. <laughs> and then uh, and at this point, it seems like they're writing Worf like one line of dialogue an episode. And it's and they're they're putting everything into it. They're like, well, we got to make it good. He gets one. <laughs> they kind of think of him as like a Klingon who doesn't yell. Like every Klingon and every other T in the TOS or the movies, they're kind of always shouting when they talk. Mm -hmm. And here he's just like, well, you know, what's the point of keeping score? That's a really good um, analysis of of Worf and and like as a character. Like, um, what I find interesting about that too is that is a thing that you can actually extrapolate through like most of Worf's existence in the Star Trek mm -hmm. universe. Mm -hmm. He is kind of the you know almost the warrior poet of uh, of Klingons because he's. Uh, you know, he has something to say, but he's never boisterous about it or he's never but he'll have an observation or something to mention or he'll wedge something in there. Um, 
Whereas a lot of Klingons you see as be, you know, very, you know, almost Viking-like, where they're really, like, boisterous. They're, you know, they're, you know, song and dance. They'll laugh. They'll, um, I mean, so much so that later in, in the run of TNG, um, Whoopi Goldberg's character of Guinan will have a conversation about Worf and, and other Klingons when he says something like, you know, Klingons do not laugh or something like that. And she'll say, like, I've seen a Klingon belly laugh that'll, you know, shake the room or whatever. Um, yeah, you they're they're almost beginning that throughout this run of season one. And like, you know, you don't get a lot of Worf, but every time you do, it's just like, I'm very serious. Yes, thank you, mm-hmm. Worf. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> then uh, Riker rounds the corner, do-do-do-do, and, uh, you know, asks um, the doctor what, what she's up to. And Dr. Crusher is uh, kind of adorably, like, running out the door. She's like, oh, my, I need my things, and I'm so excited about this. Like, I thought that was kind of cool for, for Gates McFadden to be, you know, to drop the the uh i'm a very professional very serious doctor and just be like there's this really cool thing i gotta check out man i'm late uh but okay peace out see ya you know like that's i thought it was a very <laughs> human thing and then Riker, if is it is it right after that that he eventually like turns the corners like i guess shrug holodeck <laughs> and, uh oh, we forgot Jordy. data and Jordy. Jordy and data oh right and this scene uh this scene is actually really great um between yeah. data and Jordy. i love this scene um i think What's really neat about it is um, it's we've had a few of these moments where Jordy and Data are together. They've established that they're pretty good friends, um, and I think this is another scene that really does a nice job of of you know continuing that, that to establish that these two characters, you know, they work together, but the, but they're buds. You know, they're just they're just hanging out. Um, and I liked the idea of Data pursuing something like painting, and it, like I think he says the entire point of the exercise is to see if he can express just pure creativity. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because I think Riker does the thing that everybody does when somebody's painting. Like, they just round the corner like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, and then he says it's like, uh, it's eggs or something. Yeah. And then he's oh, like, yeah. oh, is that what it is? And he comes off as very much like, mm, I guess art's art. But uh, right. The, the difference is, is that, say, uh, Jordy wanted to know what influenced Data's decisions. Data would just list it off, and then you'd find out it's maybe not creative. It's just kind of like calculated decision making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's the part that I find interesting is that, like, here's this engineer. And the part I always find interesting about the two of them, there's like a casual teaching him about human existence and emotions and people's decision making. And this is almost another kind of attempt at that early on. And uh, it's it's an engineer and the supercomputer hanging out. And you always, this engineer is who's one of the best in Starfleet, is always wondering what's going on inside the supercomputer's brain. And the supercomputer can just tell him. Right. Right. Yeah, this is a this is a supercomputer that you don't have to, you know, do the diagnostic on. You can just be like, yo, Data, what you thinking? And he can mm-hmm. he can say because, uh, you know, he's um, it kind of it almost makes me like wish that there was like an origin story comic or episode about like how they got to be buds. Because, um, you know, good drama is starting in the middle of a story, not the beginning. So they kind of they did do that. They just kind of went off and, and ran with the concept that they're friends. Um, but it would be kind of fun to see how, how that happened, you know, cause did it start with just curiosity? Like, so how does this guy work? You know, I yeah, there was this, there was a movie last year called Dave's Ex, or Dave's it was Ex Machina. I'm sorry. Ex Machina. Maybe, maybe you guys saw it, but it's about like a, a guy running, um, the Turing test on a Android or a robot. It's like, and, um, it's almost kind of like you'd have to do that if you were a, 
if you're Jordy and trying to figure out exactly what's going on in Data's mind and what his capabilities are. But of course, that would also be an extremely boring uh, episode of people in space, I think. Maybe, right. possibly. Right. It yeah. would make a good comic, the, the way you mentioned it as a comic, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm 100% positive that there's not a comic, right? I, that seems there might like be. Yeah. pretty low-hanging fruit of um, something that somebody would write at some point. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. there might be. It is, it is, though, it is one of those great scenes where you walk away from it. If you haven't been convinced already, you walk away convinced in this scene that they are good friends. Yes. Um, and it's a, like you said, it's better to start that story in the middle and just say, yeah, they are, and here's the proof of it. Look at them interact. Um, they interact like friends. Yeah, and I think um, it, it's a it's a it's a vehicle that shows both of their talents. I think as actors, um, because Data's ability to sell his affection for uh, his friend without really emoting, without really having like actual emotions. Uh, is pretty good, and I think you know Lavar Burton just comes off as like so warm and likable. You're just like, I want to be friends with Jordy too. <laughs> um, at the end of this scene, and, and Riker sort of comes off as uh, you know again, sort of the what's that nerds? You know, you guys drawing some eggs, and then at the yeah. end of it, he's just like, <laughs> at the end of it, he walks out and he has that line. This project may turn out to be of interest to scholars in the future. Really? Well, of course. Think about it: a blind man teaching an android how to paint. It's got to be worth a couple of pages in somebody's book. Right after that, as the doors closed, they could have both turned to each other and then just like simultaneously said, dick, and then kept painting. You know? I think you're right, because he's almost going around the ship looking for someone to hang out with. And uh, maybe if Deanna Troy was there, we'd definitely have somebody to hang out with, nudge, nudge. But uh, uh, he, he doesn't want to hang out with these two. Well, and it's, an, it's another... It's it's the thing I've been bringing up every other episode, maybe. That like, where is Deanna Troy this episode? <laughs> yep. <clears throat> like she's not on the ship. Yeah. She's not on the starbase. And um, you know, I was originally thinking that it wasn't as bad because in a lot of episodes, um, she's not there because she would break the story. Um, right? She would have like her powers would just shut down the story in, in, in a minute or two. And I didn't think that was the case here, but you just brought up a really good point that she probably would break the story here because Riker would be wandering around and she'd be like, oh, hey, do you want to do something? And he wouldn't be able to just say no or she wouldn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She'd also be a little concerned that he's about to go to the holodeck and try and get his Mac on with a... Exactly. Exactly. Only what? Only three or four episodes after, like, he tried to stop her marriage, right? Like, (laughs) it's it's... Yeah, she would not be, it would be too much to explain away in this episode to have her here. And, and she'd be able to sense, wait, they're still on the uh, on the ship somewhere. On the ship. When, uh, yeah. Stuff mm-hmm. starts That's true, too. Like, yep. where are they? Oh, I could sense them. Oh, man. <laughs> yep. That's another uh, classic case. It's, fir- it's first season <sighs> convenience. Just keep Diana Troy out of the episode whenever yeah, it man. suits you. It's, yep. Uh, well, not even when it suits you, when you wrote a story and then you realized you can't be there. <laughs> That's true. Somebody was about ready to write her lines of dialogue and then they're like, guys, we have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also like a one-line fix where it's like the, the binars, uh, interconnected technology and whatever wi- you know, wireless uh, messaging system they use interfa- interacts with her sensory powers in some way. You know, It's like, hey, guess what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You'd have to put that line in, though, and, and it's that that sort of um, birds you called it out many episodes ago. That that um, Battlestar versus Star Trek difference of you would have to sit down and say, 
yeah, there's like a cloud around the ship and it's full of like emotions and stuff. So I can't sense anything today. In order yeah, to create so, tension, but, that's the classic Star Trek problem that because of the technology or maybe people with exceptional abilities, in order to create man. tension and drama, they have to they have to signpost stuff where they're like, you know, this thing that would normally work. Uh, it doesn't because you know, continuing the theme with Deanna Troy, just hold that in your thoughts for a moment as we move on to the next thing. Uh, because the next stop that he makes is the holodeck. And um, the, you know, the binars are there. They've just finished their enhancements. Um, and so Riker calls up his, his, you know, perfect relaxation vacation program. Um, and it's this, it starts out okay. Like, I'm kind of going along with it because I'm like, oh, okay, a jazz club. Cool. Like, mm-hmm. um, neat. That would be kind of fun to hang out in, right? And he's like, he's he's calling up the crowd and he's got, you know, a band to play with. And he, um, I snickered because I'm still 12 when he says, and a bone for me. And I'm like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, all that appears. And then he focuses on uh, one adoring fan in the audience and it gets real uncomfortable real yeah. fast. This is where it just like all the good setup up to this point, like, oh well, we're just gonna go right off that cliff. Yeah. And and he he rever- he rever- reverts to like eighteenth century thinking or something. Like you figure by this point in man's progression, he would be past the fact that this is a simulation that no matter what he says is going to be seduced by him or seduced by a trombone, which I think is the first time in history anyone's ever been seduced by a trombone. And uh, yeah, we'll fact check just, that, but I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. He, he just totally falls in love with this girl. He's like, uh, "Ooh, minuet, you yeah. are so into me, even though you're programmed to be as such." Yeah, I mean, yeah. it really does feel like that. Um, Oh boy! I mean, my first thought goes to there's a good uh, South Park episode where Butters falls in love with a uh, waitress at the the basically Hooters. Oh, um, God. <laughs> and it's that whole dynamic of like, oh, well, like this. It's not even that this person is being paid to hang out with you. This person has been created for the sole purpose of hanging out with you. Of uh-huh. course, they are going to fall for you and say whatever they want. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it feels very sad for Riker. It's it's sad and creepy at the same time. And like, you know, when we were talking about Deanna, so, you know, when I said hold that in your mind for a second, mm-hmm. the reason why I wanted to bring that up is imagine imagine her standing next to him as he orders off of the super value menu of flirtatious yeah. women from yeah. <laughs> jazz clubs, right? Literally, literally objectifying women in the like most literal way possible by <laughs> yeah, jazz right. and blondes rarely go together computer like, okay it, it only would have made it yeah it would have put you know would have put the spotlight on it if he had just pulled up the menu and like for the character creator right if this was a video game yep. and he had a character creator and he's like oh let's tweak that tweak that um, <laughs> okay, just... been if he just said, can you simulate Diana Troy for me in here? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I bet that happens all the time in yeah. Star Trek. Uh-huh. It's just they would never write an episode around it. Well, no, there is an episode. They're not, not to that level, but um, I mean, that comes up in a plot line later where um, Jordy um, creates a holodeck character that is that um, scientist, the, the woman scientist who... Dr. Leia Brahms. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, who um, then helps him like fix something important. Yeah. Know, this is a, probably a season three or four episode. But then later she shows up on the ship and finds the program. And it's like, hey, that's not cool. Yeah. Like, well, yep. I, I, it was really out of necessity to fix this ship. And, you know, um, but he did. He kind of made friends with it and then thought he was friends with the person. Um, it's a great plot line later, but 
I don't, I don't think they're quite there yet in season one. Yeah, the episode that you're referencing is called uh, Booby Trap. It's actually one of the first uh, episodes in season three. Okay. Um, and yeah, she does return. Uh, Dr. Leah Brahms does return um, in a follow-up episode and discovers it. And there's actually there's two um, there's two episodes that I can think of um, that that have this as a plot thread. The other one is a Barkley episode where they discover Barkley's um, you know holodeck almost addiction because he's created <laughs> alternate versions of the entire crew uh, within oh, his right. simulation. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that one. And that, he's, that one is a weird episode. Yeah, he's got this like dreamy uh goddess version of uh deanna troy um he's got a uh a, a miniature version of Riker, uh you know like a mini Riker because he's so intimidated by him um like it's uh so so i think that was their way of like dealing with this semi-dark topic but in a in a light sort of a way well and i'm remembering it comes up in deep space nine too where um like Quark tries in one episode to try to get oh, yeah. patterns for everybody and especially for um, Major Kira. Major Kira. Mm-hmm. Um, and he keeps trying to like trick her into the holodeck so that the <laughs> holodeck can scan her and basically make a copy of her. Yep. Um, and and, the, like, and yeah, that one's more outright too. That one's purely because he has a buyer who wants yeah, exactly. to, to to procure that image. <laughs> but it's the exact same thing that Riker is doing here, right? It's yeah. just he has a random person's face on it. But that's what he's doing, right? He's basically going to a menu and saying, yeah, this will do. Yeah. I, lo- I love the idea that he programs in the computer, must love trombone. <laughs> well, I guess the binars <laughs> did that, right? So not to jump too far ahead in the plot, but the binars mm-hmm. program that, right? Yeah. And they sort of, um, they wink at that while he's standing there being creepy uh, and ordering off the menu because, you know, he'll say some stuff and then they're back there like, you know, you know, communicating with one another and then punching stuff into the computer. Um, and, and that'll that'll all become, you know, pretty important later. Um, but he's, you know, we're off. It's, uh, and presumably so is Riker soon. Hey, um, because it's just... It's. I think that as the hook of the episode is just really unfortunate, because mm-hmm. otherwise this is a really interesting episode, but it takes someone who is, um, you know, supposed to be a 24th century evolved human being and the the second in command of the Federation's flagship, and turns yeah, him into kind a of a note. skis. You know, I mean, just you. Well, well, not only that, he needs like a psych evaluation to be taken off duty because yeah, anyone yeah. who can fall in love with a simulation is probably not the most loyal to, uh, you know, the mission. Like yeah. at any moment, he might just come upon this alien and be like, oh, peace out. Screw you guys. Here's the codes to the shields. Well, and yeah. actually, I mean, we're, we're calling out all these much later episodes, but this character will come back later. The, the character he creates in an episode where um, it's the Romulans, I believe, that are the, uh-huh. the actual people behind it, um, like trap him in um, a holodeck or equivalent and build a life for him, including this person that they think is someone he has loved in the past, mm-hmm. um, in order to try to extract information from him about, um, I forget what it is, but... <laughs> it's, um, um, it's an episode called Future Imperfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, they it, it's... I, I remember when that happened in that episode, and we'll, you know, eventually we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, this is a thing where if you looked at this episode and broke out the individual pieces of it, 
And then you, you know, showed it to somebody who'd never seen Star Trek before, and you said, pick out one thing from this episode that you think will have an impact on the Star Trek universe and will actually come back in another episode. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be Minuet. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think that somebody would be like... Well, and that's like a fifth or sixth season episode, is that right? Yeah, it's... um, It's late. I have that in front of me, but yeah, it is at least season five or six. And it's... I always remember watching that episode and thinking, oh... Guess I must have missed that episode where she was important. <laughs> and I think it was just that when I saw it, I never thought she was because she isn't. Yeah, it's, but, it's season four, actually, season four, episode eight. Um, wow. But it's yeah. it's a ways down there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, he's smitten. He's in. The binars uh, wander off. And um, the Enterprise uh, encounters a problem. Um, Wes observes a problem. He uh, reports it to uh, Data and Geordi. Um, and there's a problem with the warp core, and it's seemingly the ship may actually be in danger of exploding. Um, they they do a couple of things here that are kind of weird. Um, again, you know, maybe not quite red herrings, but just like, well, that's weird that they would say that. They specifically say when it starts not to report it to the captain. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I forget at that point has the captain wandered down the to the holodeck because, or is it just to give him enough yeah, time to I think get there? So. Um, no, I think he's in there. Okay. He's already done it because um, Wesley's already asked the binars about like why they talk uh, in such a weird way and what their devices on their body do. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, he tells Wesley, he's like, keep me apprised. And then yeah. uh, just because we missed it, uh, Picard, when he walks into the holodeck, it is extremely uncouth of him because <laughs> here's Riker like about to make out with this uh, with this chick, and that's got to be extremely disturbing. It's almost like walking in on your child or something, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. it's it's just one of those moments. Where I was like, doesn't he knock? Is there, isn't there a knocking <laughs> service for the holodeck? Because you have no idea what's going on in this room. Yeah. I would hope that the computer on the outside of the holodeck doesn't have like a screen. You can watch whatever somebody's doing in there, but at least something more than just walking in like he does. It's well, very, uh, Wes very has weird. That, Wes has that little periscope that he used in um, uh, Big Goodbye. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, attached. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's There's a couple of things that are, are really weird. So, yeah, I guess before we get to the whole ship about to explode, um, Riker's conversation with her and then right up until Picard walks in because Picard walks into his simulation and just like, hey, what's up? Ha ha. Um, Riker has an exchange with Minuet, which sells, I think, the creepiness of the entire thing because it sells how much he knows it's a fantasy, how how much it's just not real. He has, like, and, and he they... To her. Like she's, yeah, he says yeah. to her, your thoughts and the things you say seem so real. And her reaction is just like, thank you. You know, like, <laughs> it's like... Yeah, man, that's, that's like an entire... Um sci-fi thing all in itself is this simulation knows that it's fake mm -hmm. and uh doesn't care at all just it's like yep i'm, I'm uh, totally made up and whatever yeah yeah and at the end of the big goodbye they went to great lengths to be like what happens when this shuts down like i'm i'm not real like i feel real like what are you telling me well that's, and maybe the binars fix that well yeah maybe that's the upgrade that like we Here's the patch notes. Remove the part where simulations care that they're simulations. <laughs> right. Or, or yeah, removed awkward questions from simulations on the nature of their existence <laughs> due exactly. to user discomfort. You know? <laughs> like, moving you on. know, when I was thinking about that, I thought maybe they programmed into the computer that 
the simulations don't care because they're part of this bigger computer that still exists. Yeah. So it's almost like the computer having fun with the person in the holodeck. Like it knows I'm more important than this meat bag that walks around and is eventually going to die. Um, you know, here's a fun thing for them to play with, and I get to mess with their brain. That's, I mean, you're describing Skynet at this point. It's the Matrix all of a sudden. They know what's going on. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It's, um, oh, it's weird. And then, yeah, Picard walks in, and, and um, you know, it's pretty clear that they were, like, very close to an embrace. And then it's just like, oh, blah, 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 uh, Captain, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and she's like, I speak French. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's and well, and yeah, it's surprising that he would care too. Like, well, yeah, she's a computer. Awkward, yeah, that was an awkward conversation. He was like, oh, "You speak French?" And she's like, "Yeah, I, I'm a computer." <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> they they have this scene that I think I think it's for the benefit of the audience, but they have the whole, you know, when Riker and Picard are sitting around and and uh, you know, they're they're having a conversation with Minuet, and the the what struck me as weird. And I guess it's not so weird, but it seems like because it's a simulation of a person, um, social conventions would seem to apply. And, like, they just break it all the time because they talk about her in the third person continually while she's there because Mm -hmm. she's such a marvel of technology. And I'm just like, I mean, both of these guys are skeezy. Like, it comes off as, as pretty creepy because Picard knows what Riker's there for. Riker knows what Riker's there for. And they're talking about, wow, isn't this so real? And it's like... At what point does everybody realize how awkward this is and just kind of go to their separate corners? I think it gets even a little more awkward after that because after stuff's going on outside the holodeck, Minuet and Riker are holding hands, staring into each other's eyes, and like deep in the frame is Picard the other side of the table, just like fascinated by this interaction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. bizarre. Yeah. But, uh, and also, on in route to that, there's a part where they're sitting at the bar and she hands Picard a, a glass of wine. What does a simulated glass of wine taste like? And can you exist in the holodeck forever without ever actually consuming tangible food or um, disposing of human waste? I mean, yeah. what's going on in this holodeck? I need the holodeck to be explained thoroughly to me. It disturbs me. Yeah, and it they've touched on a little bit before, but you're right that a lot of these questions aren't there yet. Um, and they're still kind of playing pretty loose with what the holodeck does and what it makes right like if you order a cheeseburger you just like they're still playing is it a replicator all of a sudden well, that, that's the question early on they have sort of talked about it as just an extension of the replicator so that it might be the case that um if you ordered a cheeseburger the computer would be like oh yeah he wants a replicated one so we can eat it like it's not just a hologram yeah um i and and it does raise some interesting questions about does that continue on later? Um, could you just live in the holodeck? Yeah. Well, I, don't they also put their waste back into the replicator? Like if they have food left over or plates mm-hmm. and then it just gets vaporized. I mean, couldn't the holodeck accidentally kill everyone in the holodeck thinking that they're waste? Safety protocols. Right. Safety <laughs> oh, protocols. Yeah, right. Yep. So here's, here's my cobbled together explanation of how it works. Um, and I guess here is where, you know, we invite feedback. You can uh, leave us a comment uh, at our website, hi-fi sci-fi uh, podcast.com. Uh, um, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. All the links are there. Um, I think that this is how the holodeck works. Um, most of the things that you see are projected images with a force field around it to give them the appearance of mass and solidness, right? So like people, uh, vehicles, um, buildings, you know, etc. Anything that's like edible, 
I'm reasonably certain is replicated and placed there um, so that it can be consumed. And that basically everything that holds the holodeck together are a combination of projections on the walls, uh, 3D holographic projections with force fields around them, uh, replicated material that can be consumed or what have you. And it doesn't murder slash eat anyone because of software that's that's constantly sure. checking. You know, that's saying like, those are people, don't kill them. Those are... <laughs> that's organic matter that's living. Yeah, sure. E- exactly. So that's... But they're sort of, I mean, that's a really weird concept to communicate in a dramatic like sense. So they have so many of these holodeck episodes to basically kind of create this anthology explanation, I think. That's just like, okay, this is the episode that talks about what this does in the holodeck. And eventually you kind of kind of get there. And, and I think they, they sort of downplay that replicator element because it would be fairly powerful. Right. Um, and, and part of it... Um, I mean, I'm thinking of how that would apply somewhere like Voyager, where you have a holographic doctor, um, that if he was also able to just say, well, make me a cheeseburger, and it's replicated in his hand, um, he wouldn't really need anyone to do anything else, right? If he just needed um, a hypospray, be like, hypospray, and then it would just be in his hand, because um, the computer could replicate that. Um, well, I think the limitations on this are... Um they talk about in Star Trek how, you know, like basically the transporter works because you can convert matter to energy back to matter. The replicator works because it's basically just energy to matter. Um, and then like waste reclamation works because it's the opposite, right? Matter to energy. Like once you break that thing where it's like, okay, matter and energy are interchangeable because of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it kind of becomes space magic. But I think the limiting factor on that and why they don't just, like, wantonly do all that kind of stuff and or, you know, it's like thinking about the transporter, too, where people are like, why does anybody walk anywhere? Why doesn't everybody just beam all over the place all the time? Um, I, I think it all comes down to, like, the con- the conservation of energy, right? That, like, they don't talk about this in terms of, like, raw power, but I think the holodeck, its uses, the transporter, its uses, and, like, all of these conversions are not an insignificant amount of power um and on a ship that's filled with thousands of people if everybody was just beaming all over the place and or transporting stuff that they needed into their hands all the time you know i don't think the enterprise could go to warp because the thing would just be like (laughs) stalled out there it would be like uh it would be like wally like that big cruise ship where people are just on the chairs and they're just cruising around but the thing's (laughs) hanging in space not going anywhere because everybody's using the juice you know um I think. I think that's part of the, like the best part of Star Trek is these like little questions about their episodes that completely revolve around it. Like the one where uh, the teleporter has an issue and it splits Riker into two people, you know. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that's uh, that's one of my favorite episodes where you meet his clone, if that's even the right term. But, yeah, he sticks uh, around for quite a while too. Yeah, that type of stuff is really where it's it's, it's super interesting. Yeah, like that episode. Uh, what? One, There's like two yeah. or three with his clone, and I think after that, right? Yeah, well, he shows up in oh, DS9. Lonely Among Us, Lonely Among Us, where they clone Picard and just kind of don't <laughs> talk about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um. So I guess that's a good thing you can say about this episode is there is room for those food for thought like experiments, uh, basically. Um, and this episode, I think, to me, seemed pretty pretty front heavy in terms of like all the things going on because we've spent a lot of of time in the first part of the the episode but i can kind of sum up the rest of the episode really briefly which is mm-hmm. um you know the the emergency happens west reports it ship's gonna blow everyone evacuates uh turns out it's not true uh the 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 thing was a hoax it was planted there by the binars and the ship takes off um 
and it warps off to planet Bionis, which is, you know, their their homeworld. And the rest of the episode revolves around why did they go to the effort to fool everybody um, to occupy both Picard and Riker um, and, and to steal the Enterprise, basically. Um, and there's a lot of good questions here that get raised um, that I even wrote down of, you know, like, why would they make sure they were there or why would they you know keep them there instead of making them evacuate mm-hmm. um that are all questions that seem like these um plot holes and then at the end they're like no no this is why we did that <laughs> like oh oh that does make a lot of sense yeah yeah um, but that happens it happens a few times yeah it's um a, i would say that this episode um you know we're not getting to the wrap-up yet but i i kind of got this sense of of the episode that like um, the only thing about the episode that's just it doesn't work for me that's really uncomfortable is the minuet thing and like mm-hmm. how she's treated mm-hmm. um, but even the concept of using the holodeck as bait I think is clever it's just the way that that you know he orders himself up a lover um, that, that just gets mm-hmm. turbo weird but everything and else it, about this episode kind of works yeah, and is so easily and quickly taken in and seduced uh-huh. Yeah. Right. To, to Patrick's point, that like, well, why doesn't why don't your enemies use this? <laughs> um, and then the other thing that uh, that bugs me, it, this is another episode where I believe they set the self destruct, and then they reference that there's no option for it for timing. Yeah, yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, which is something that they not only like don't bring up that specifically again, they actually actively change later, where it's like. It's when you call it the self-destruct, that's one of the things you put in where you're like, mm, how much time you want to die? <laughs> like, I don't know, yep. 20 minutes. Well, you know, not every adventure that the Enterprise went on or repair is ever logged in an episode. So who knows? Maybe there are binars down the line that just weren't in the episode. And they fixed that. They said, no, oh, you know what? Your self-destruct should be, uh, you know, like a scalable clock. It should be random. (laughs) (laughs) That's three days. Between one one second and three days, it's going to be random between it. Now, use it sparingly. The The Enterprise will be destroyed in seven seconds. Oh, God. (laughs) 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 Um, So they set the auto-destruct. They go to the bridge. And and, uh, the way in which they go to the bridge, I think, is very dramatic. (laughs) They go to the transporter room. And they put together this plan where they're like, okay, I'll be in the front of the bridge. You'll be in the back. Phasers out. Let's do this. You know, and they beam in. And I have have in my notes, and this is just me, like, kind of dreaming while I was watching the episode. I I have written down, and they beam into dot, 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 a surprise party. (laughs) Like, wouldn't that that be an awesome end of this episode that, like, everybody had planned this, and it's Riker's birthday or something, and he was sad the whole time. And it's a surprise party. Yeah. And the woman who plays Minuet is there and she's not into him at all. That's yeah, right. yeah. And she's just a regular human. Like she wasn't a hologram at all. She's <laughs> like, just she's uh, like, I actually kinda like the trumpet. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. But she but prefers the what, sax. Why? <laughs> that was just my man. That I that was my I wish it happened, but <laughs> continue burn. She speaks fluent Italian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, they beam into the opposite of a really cool surprise party. They beam into a completely empty bridge with sleepy binars. Sleepy, sleepy binars. Um, Sleeping in, a, in, like, a pile, too. They, um, you, you like, that's the question, like, what's wrong with the binars? Uh, and then the rest of the episode is, is kind of resolving that. Before they get to the bridge, they, they have that moment where they look up and there's a bunch of stuff in the computer. Again, another, like, piece to the breadcrumb trail, right? Where it's like, well, what is that? They literally look at it and they're like, well, I don't know. It's, it, it, you know, we'll have to figure that out later. Right now, we, you know, we have to take back our ship. And the thing that was in the computer, like, almost all of the free space in this massive starship-wide, you know, data bank 
is is taken up by a file that the binars put there and um you find out that the binars needed the ship they needed the the mobile computer um you know they needed all of this stuff because they had to basically do like a hard reboot of their central computer on their home planet um and they figure this out just as the ship arrives they uh i thought it was nice that they had to put in the tandem code where you know they have that conversation with data back on the starbase where it's like data computers are hard how do you help us uh and he's he tells them what a file name is which i think is cute well, and that's a weird thing that they need that like <laughs> oh we could fix this if we only knew knew the file name it's like what <laughs> how does that help like i didn't get this resolution um, yeah yep. but i think that calling out a file name is probably the weirdest part of it it's almost like well, what files they what could they be accessed by code or password yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think they're I think maybe they're using file name and password interchangeably. But again, I think so. Like yeah. what's weird about this is they 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 make a point to call it out that the binars would have kept it simple some because they wanted it to be found and it's like so then why password protect it at all? <laughs> like, well, and it's also I mean to some degree they're making they're doing sort of a Jeff Goldblum Independence Day sort of thing. Oh, um yeah. I think that this is a little more forgivable um, than Independence Day because um, that's a whole different story. Um, <laughs> yes. But the idea here is basically that the binars already speak in machine code, um, mm-hmm. right? So there's nothing that would... Um, they, they would not need a operating system to interact with their computers the same way we do, that they mm. could basically just speak to them in machine code. Yeah, that's true. So having things like files and, and basically implying that that Picard and Riker are interacting with a file structure and a file system, um, even a rudimentary one, and all they need to do is basically take all this stuff that they downloaded and put it back into a file, um, sort of jumps over that idea that what they probably just have is all the information in machine code that just needs to be fed back into this machine. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not really anything hard about this or anything that a password would ne- necessitate um, unless unless for some reason the binars downloaded this and then encrypted it or, mm. or something like that that would make it harder for them to do the thing they wanted them to do well the I guess the only other thing is maybe what they meant was rather than rather than a password or a file name what they meant is a command you know if you almost think about this in terms of like a DOS prompt right where it's like you know, it's 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 a rudimentary operating system because it's not like using a computer today, which is point, click, or touch. You know. Um, well, well, but even DOS is it is the disk operating system is what what it is. Um, that that it, it's a way to get around the fact that humans don't want to type out machine code. Sure, sure. And but what I'm saying is like maybe what they were typing in was just the the rudimentary equivalent of whatever you would need, whatever machine code you would need to say, okay, move this from here to here. Right, like uh, and I guess they do it in in machine code. They do it in binary. <laughs> so, mm. I mean, I guess you're making at least a plausible argument. Yeah, because they um they really only have to type in one thing and make it happen. And what I thought was kind of funny too is to maybe make that callback to they're literally standing in for what the binars would do because they would have probably just said something and then you know and then it would have done it. Um, mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. Picard. Yes and Riker have to input this same code at the same time, and then, boom, the thing takes off. Like, it's just there, and it's copying, and and within minutes, would, the people stand back up. 
you think the binaries would have just like left a post-it note there though yes that is the thing <laughs> maybe that they didn't thinking. have enough time yeah that's true yeah yeah because they did they did all the things um it seemed like they were into their contingency plan right and this calls back to what you you were talking about you know to paul where it's like those hanging plot threads where you're like why didn't they just get picard and Riker off the ship they, they like literally ask them that point blank which i thought was kind of nice after you know Picard and Riker put in the code, the computer fires back up on their home planet, and suddenly all the binars are like, "We're good." Um, you know, they they kind of ask him, "What's the deal? Why did you? What's the deal with Minuet? Why did you trap us here?" And they knew mm-hmm. that that they were dying, that their computer was was close to completely inoperable, and they knew they might not make the entire trip there, so they needed somebody to stand in and literally just punch in that stuff. So, yeah, and they they explain all those questions away that you would have had earlier, and and. They wrap it up in such a nice little package. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna say, even when they explain like uh, why they had to, you know, trick them and everything, it's very like computerized bullion thinking of true false, like the binary world of one or zero. You know, uh, would these people help us? Uh, probably no. So then they think, well, then what's our option? Well, we have to trick them. You know, it's all kind of like, uh, like a, just a staircase of why, reasons of why they have to go false instead of true at every turn, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that makes kind of sense to, I think, um, the humans and the robots at the same time, or the binars, I guess, at the same time. Yeah. When they ask, you know, why didn't you just ask for our help? You know, you might have said no, which I think is yeah. such a, like, it's a small line, but it does such a good job of reinforcing how they think, where it's like, you know, the success of the mission was deemed absolutely critical, right? Like, must be completed, um, because without it, they would all die. So when running the simulations, and if your thinking is either true or false, if there's any possibility that they'll say no, but you have to have this completed, then the only option is the the variables that you can control, which is that they would launch this plan and steal the ship. And it's like, you know, again, the humanitarian philosophy of Starfleet would be like, well, of course we would help these people. But it, it really, what I like about episodes like this is when they have alien cultures who clearly demonstrate an alien perspective of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and this yep. episode does a really good job of it, that they think along the lines of, of you know, standard computing, that they're so integrated with, with their computers that it is literal binary thinking, that they're, they're people of absolutes. And I thought that was really cool. Like, so much so that it's kind of sad that they don't, like, come back up again. But, but Pat, I like your mention of, like, we don't know. Maybe there's binars all over the place, and they're upgrading all the computers everywhere. Like, I'd like to think that, that it's just, like, you know, they're, they're professional consultants for, for Starfleet. <laughs> well, and there's, a, um, if there's an audio file, if I can request. There's a Simpsons episode where um, the one where um, Homer, uh, or maybe it's Bart. In any case, they, they think that Flanders has killed his wife. And then at the end, she comes back, and, and Homer says, Oh, I see. Then everything is wrapped up in a neat little package. Really, I mean that. Sorry if it sounded sarcastic. I feel that is the perfect punctuation to this episode, because yeah. they, everything is wrapped up so neatly. Yep. Uh, so much so that they even they even revisit Minuet. And I wrote this yeah, down yeah. because it's like, oh, okay, problem solved. We're on our way back to uh, you know the Federation, whatever. Riker leaves the bridge to go see if his holodeck lady is still there. Like, yep. he literally, like, runs down. He's like, Minuet, ah, and he gets down there, <laughs> and she's not there anymore. Like, it's literally a different person, like, similar to what he put into the computer, like, yo, get me this lady, um, but very clearly not not the same. And it's like... And then he cries to Picard about it, too. Yeah. yeah. Like, what? 
<laughs> Picard should be like, you went back? And he says he spent like he spent a while trying to find it and like trying to tweak things. Yeah. Like, he didn't just give up right away. He was like, mm, I better put in some more time. He cried in the fetal position for several hours <laughs> in the holodeck because Minuet's gone. I mean, I think is this an I know we typically go into our bests and worsts, but the worsts might be redundant because are we all going to say Minuet? Like, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, she's the worst part of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, had, I, I, had, I think the whole holodeck interaction is pretty bad. I mean, she's a little ridiculous, but she's a good device. It's just the way that Picard and Riker react to her with almost uh, unrealism, like completely non-realistic uh, sense of <laughs> themselves. Well, that's and, the mm-hmm. bad part. And mm-hmm. I don't think right. There's so many other outs here. The, the The problem isn't the holodeck, and the problem isn't what happens. The problem is that what you just said that it's Riker, and that it's this literal objectification of women, and that's all Riker wants. And if you imagine the same thing, so we already mentioned um, the Dr. Brahms character, uh-huh. right? If this had been, if, if Jordy had stayed on that ship, and Jordy's now in the holodeck, and he's like, hey, I want to patch up this thing. And then you introduce a character that he, he um, interacts with in a, in a manner that is much more mutual respect. Um, and that keeps him there, right? He stays on the ship because he's um, discussing mort fields. Or, or even mm-hmm. Crusher stays because Crusher's like, oh, not I, I, this person is on the star base. I just got a new program, which is this person who is this cybernetics expert, and I want to talk to them and talk to them about cybernetics. And now that is the thing that entices them to stay without it just being, oh, well, the only thing that could get people to stay on here is, is to seduce them with with a, a pretty woman, yeah, um, and that and she doesn't that she has to like trombones and she has to <laughs> like jazz and she has to know French, but there doesn't yeah, have to be know, any substance, right? And also to that point is uh, if Riker and Picard are the wrong choice to help the Binars, like oh, yeah, Data exactly. and, keep, and keep, Data keep and Jordy are like the 100 percent you know they would do it morally they would do it because they have the intellect to do it and they do it the fastest out of anyone possible (laughs) so uh, the only reason they pick uh, picard and Riker is because they're the leads of the show and uh you know they're still trying to build up this fact that these two guys are like 1a and 1b or Mm -hmm. one and a very close two Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make too much sense as far as why they're the ones that stay. Yeah, yeah good. it would have been a great Jordy Jordy Data time in the holodeck. Yeah, yeah, good point. Because how how easy would it have been to even just relocate um, their painting exercise to the holodeck and maybe pull like a Voyager right where Captain uh, Janeway used to go to Da Vinci's workshop yeah. all the time for inspiration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what if they'd have just been in there? Like, it would have been turbo easy then to to have the binars write off the same thing. Like, they probably, you know, could have just shown them this, you know, maybe it could have been an, an actual innocent interaction where they see them painting and then talk about the upgrades that they made to the holodeck and they go there and they start, you know, talking about art and stuff. And then they would have been, it would have been a reason to have them in, in on the ship that it still could have used the holodeck as the device to kind of keep them there and it would have had the right people there for, for that job. Because, yeah, you're right, well, Pat, absolutely. Like, the people they wanted were Data and Jordy and they were like two rooms away because um, they were like in the observation lounge painting. Like, that's where they were. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm usually the one that says break things into multiple episodes, but this, this almost seems like an opportunity. They could have even just, while they were writing them, kind of wrote in um, some of the things from the big guy, the big goodbye into this episode, right? That mm. like they could have easily trapped Picard in there with a um, 
Dixon Hill story, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? It doesn't have to be somebody who's seducing him. He would have been seduced by the idea of living out another Dixon Hill novel. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe the binary is like, oh, we programmed a new one. Like, try it out. Yeah. And also that has this set amount of time it's going to take, whereas a woman seducing you, especially the second person who walks in, that's going to ruin everything. <laughs> you, you know, if there's if there's an adventure they have to live out in there, there's like, OK, well, we've at least got them in there for five hours. So we need to steal the ship within five hours. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think, yeah, generally across the board, that seems to be the part that that doesn't work in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, normally, we each kind of have our own. But I had a suspicion that with this one for the worst, that was going to be. Probably my, my my near second would be their treatment of computers, but I think we already covered that pretty extensively. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the um, there there's a lot of good in this episode too. So I feel like this will be a good you know kind of observation. Uh, you know our bests, our highlights for this episode. Pat, since you're our guest, uh, why don't you go first? What was your what was the high point of this episode for you? What was what was the best? Well, uh, the their depiction. I don't know if it's perfect, but I, I think the binars themselves are like an extremely cool idea and alien. Uh, representation, which we've already talked about, is almost like a precursor for the Borg or a template that, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, what if they were evil? And um, I, I love that because there's nothing better in Star Trek for me personally than like the Borg and also the Shapeshifters and DS DS9, but mm. that's immaterial here. Either way, I think uh, just getting into their thinking and communication and uh, that type of thing is, is really unique and uh, yeah. I, I think the episodes that involve technology, especially personified technology like them, uh, is extremely, uh, you know, something that wouldn't be found in, I don't know, you definitely wouldn't find it in a Star Trek, a Star Wars thing, but I'm mm -hmm. glad that it's here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitively Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Paul, how about you? Um, I think it's it's got to be Data and Geordi for me. Just mm -hmm. the pure, um, it, it's just, it's such a perfect scene with them and it, it it really nails home that point that they've been getting right in a lot of episodes so far that these two people are friends um and ha have one of the real um only true like deep friendship so far that we've seen on the ship right there's not two other characters that have that sort of uh bond uh and and particularly when uh, we have we didn't talk about it much at all um but when Jordy and data are in engineering and find this problem and data is like <laughs> the ship's going to explode and takes command right that he just it is all business data right there mm -hmm. um and very quickly and efficiently evacuates the ship as as what should have been done in that situation exactly what the binars plan but um they do it so perfectly and you get to see since picard and Riker are busy in a jazz club um you get to see <laughs> data beating the ship in and what it would be like, you know, kind of to see a Captain Data. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun to watch. Um, and, and then he laments it later, right? They even come back to that point later. And his point is on the bridge. You shouldn't have left. Yeah, like I was yeah. painting. And like if I had been on the bridge, maybe they, we, they wouldn't have been able to steal a ship. Like maybe I would have caught it earlier. And he's lamenting this fact. And Jordy's like, well, you know, you, you have to leave the bridge sometimes. And he's like, no, I don't. Like I don't have to sleep. Like, this this guilt almost mm -hmm. like creeps into data really interesting and there's these really small threads that they're they're putting in there that already feel really fleshed out about both that friendship but also what data is uh and what data is to Jordy, mm -hmm. um because he confides in him to uh, those those sort of misgivings about i shouldn't have been painting like i failed the ship mm -hmm. and then it, it really uh has a lot of substance to it 
Yeah. For for me, um, because I'm such a, a Star Trek nerd, and I'm it's also Percy Squares. It's Percy Squares. It's got to <laughs> be. Um, I'm also. Uh, I always like the the big thing. I, I started watching Star Trek when I was really little, and one of the things that really caught me about the Star Trek universe was they didn't do it all the time, but the times that they were able to build a real sense of scale into the Star Trek universe kind of like blew my mind because the concept of having a, not not just like planets but a living like universe filled with um you know tons of some most allies but some enemies and and unknowns and unexplored for me like the the parts of the episode where they they they're in the starbase they even reference the other starships which are there being like serviced and stuff they they do a really nice job of in this episode that they don't do very often i i feel like especially in the first seasons to to build out what a big operation starfleet is right that they they really build this impressive sense of scale that like yes the 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 enterprise is is this huge starship and it's you know the newest and most advanced but they talk about you know are there any other ships in range well the trieste is close and data says i know the trieste too small or um you know too slow too something um and then they've got you know it's like you've got three starships here hanging in the in in the in the base what are you doing with them well we're fixing them as fast as we can um but were you know was it the Lexington or I forget which one they were gonna actually take just, out. I always just say the Farragut, but <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> something. But any the, like they do all these different pieces to not only sell that like you know the binars are part of this uh, you know vast interstellar culture, but like there's ships all over the place, there's star bases all over the place. It's big stuff. I mean like. They're really doing a nice job in this episode to sell the difference between Starfleet in, you know, 80 years ago in the era of Kirk, which was wagon train to the stars, to the TNG era where it's like, no, they're established. Like, the Federation is a, is a pretty vast interstellar, you know, Federation. They've got star bases everywhere. They've got ships everywhere. And, like, I just think that kind of stuff is really cool because it, it sells, you know, the backdrop that is TNG. Um, but anyway, that's me. So... Finally. Can I throw in one thing that was um, awkward in the episode for me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so the the episode closes, final shot of the show, uh-huh. and Picard's standing dead center of the bridge, you know, just looking right down the, the lens of the camera, where the, whatever the screen is in front of him. And behind him is Tasha Yar and Worf, standing ready for action at any moment, and they're both dead face. And it just made me think how much of their day at Tactical is spent standing bored out of their mind. <laughs> absolutely nothing. Well, I mean, they're not they're they're not the Klingons, the Romulans going around murdering people everywhere they go. They're just out there exploring. So tactical has to suck. Has to kind of blow. Yeah, it really. Yeah. Well, and I find it weird too that like um, I feel like Worf a lot of times doesn't have a place to really stand. So he kind of like mm-hmm. wanders around. <laughs> like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes he's at the forward consoles, like subbing in for ops or navigation. Sometimes he's in the back at one of the stations there dinking around. And sometimes he's like right next to Tasha, but that's technically right now. Tasha's console. Yeah. That's I, I do remember that shot now that you reference it. And it's like, they needed to put them somewhere. <laughs> so here they are. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thought that went into that. Um, finally, uh, our to build our Star Trek roadmap, this one's going to be hard for me, I think. Do we recommend this episode? Is this an episode that if somebody's new to Star Trek, do we put this on the watch list? Is this, you know, is this important? 
Well, and to go back to our original document, right? I think this was one where I had originally said watch and you had originally said skip. So I was, started with a split decision here. I was violently against it. <laughs> oh. I, I was. Yeah. Um, Can I just say that I think it's, I don't know if it's important, but it certainly is enjoyable. Like I watched it twice. I think we all did. Mm-hmm. And the second time wasn't really a chore. I think it was more, uh, you pick up on a lot more. So I don't know if it progresses the whole uh, framework of the show. Yeah. There's certainly something in there that's, uh, you know, an excellent standalone piece of uh, TNG. So you're saying watch. You're saying add. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Paul, how about you? Yeah, um, I think I sort of had a, a weird reaction to this one um, because I originally had said watch. I'm not sure why. Um, <laughs> and then watching the first half, I was like, oh, this is kind of filler. And then getting to the holodeck, it, I kind of said it, it just kind of falls off a cliff. And it's like, oh, this is... Like, again, I, I've been calling out a lot when episodes are damaging to characters. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm worried about at this point is that that this isn't this isn't any more damaging to Riker than six or seven episodes already have been. That like <laughs> this is they're just trying to make him Kirk. They're trying to make him like. So I don't know that it's even damaging to him at this point. It's just what he is at this point in the series, and right. maybe he's a flawed character that needs to grow. Um, but that said, the holodeck parts are weird. And and yeah. if you if you sit down before you watch it and say and um and you you say yeah well Riker's going to be pretty sleazy sure <laughs> um, the rest of it is kind of an interesting and compelling story and there's a lot of good stuff in there there's um, a lot of these good points like well our binar is just Borg without the evil uh, or the ambition really um, there's a lot of that good data and Geordi that you get to see. Um, there's a lot of these really interesting seeds and red herrings. It's a well-told story that just used the lowest hanging fruit they could for the holodeck parts. And if you sub in a different holodeck part, it doesn't change the story at all, and it makes it a really good episode. So if you can ignore, ignore those parts, I think there's a lot watchable here. So I'm going to say watch. I'm going to reverse my initial decision. Um hmm. I, I was the reasons that I was violently against it was um, all of the stuff in the holodeck, which I still feel is uh, badly handled. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there, I Hard don't to argue against. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think, Paul, your point to um, you can't really destroy an already really destroyed or damaged character. <laughs> like it's just at this point, if you're gonna watch anything out of season one, you got to know that Riker doesn't really become the Riker we know and love until season two. I mean, it's really, for whatever yeah. reason, when they decided to put a beard on him, they also decided to make him a decent human being. Um, and in this one, he's just he's not, and it's it's a little tough to watch. Um, but you get past that, you put it in context of the fact that it's the late '80s and it's a bunch of guys writing this show. Um, and it becomes kind of a culture, cultural artifact of its time that like, yeah, this is yeah. supposed to be the 24th century, but this is kind of what the late eighties were just casually sexist all well, around. I, didn't we call that out on last episode, Angel one that we said you could watch this as part of like a gender studies class and mm-hmm. get a feel of uh, mm-hmm. shipping a bottle of what the eighties were like in terms of casual and yep. not so casual sexism. Yep. And so it's while that is not what Star Trek is to me, and I think it's not what a lot of you know what what the series is to <clears throat> to people who who are lifelong fans. There's also some stuff here that if you're willing to overlook that and and give it a pass to know that it does get better that that they'll they'll work out those problems. Um, 
it's a it's a fun episode to watch it's i think across the board it is actually a lot of fun um and there's some really good food for thought here some classic sci-fi food for thought um it comes off almost as very like a classic um you know like sci-fi magazine short story you know where it's like the planet of the binars um it's a math planet yeah (laughs) they must have changed their name when they became connected to this computer like before they were computerized society they must have just been like the glib glops or something right you know? exactly and then they yeah to celebrate uh you know that's racist match <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well that is uh that is uh one one zero zero one zero one zero zero one zero one zero zero one nice so uh patrick i i hope you i hope you had a great time because this was a lot of fun to talk about Oh, I I did, and uh, there are a couple of wish list episodes that um, if you do the, the like if you're still here in season five and you do the Dyson Sphere episode uh, relics, that is like my all time favorite episode. I'll, I'll pencil it so, in now. Okay, That's okay. such a good episode. <laughs> See in four years. Yeah, exactly. that one I really love, and yep. pretty much any of the ones with Ro Lauren, the uh, Bajoran, which yeah, should have been on Gips Nine. Yeah, Rose. It's like if she had been in the early episodes, I think that character would have brought like a sense of tension to it that's really missing from the crew. It's like everyone's. Just just having a good time. No yeah. one's really like bones or, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Pat, did you, uh, I'll, I'll work in a did you know. Um, did you know that uh, Deep Space Nine, originally in its concept, uh, Major Kira Norris was not a character and it was supposed to be Ro Laren transferring from the Enterprise? Right. Really? Yes, I did know. That still is my favorite series, uh, Deep Space Nine, but yeah. mostly because of Odo. So if you ever do that, so if you're seven years down the road, <laughs> you start over with PS9. Yeah. While <laughs> we're plan. while we're plugging future episodes here too, uh, you know, Pat, you can get a chance to plug uh, something on your way out, uh, perhaps. Yep. Oh yeah. That was, that's so uh, I uh, do a podcast with a guest that was on the show back, uh, a big hide and Q. Uh, mm-hmm. Jacob Rosdale and I do filmcasts without a cause, and we talk about movies and superhero stuff, and t- occasionally television. And uh, we're in year three and a half, I believe. We're coming up on year four, so yeah, uh, you know, we won't be going anywhere anytime soon. We don't have episodes and seasons like you guys do, where we have to stick around for seven years. But, you know. <laughs> we committed next ourselves. Next episode you do. Next episode you do. You just say, "And welcome to season two, everybody." <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Three years, cut kind of love. <laughs> it so is filmcastwithoutacause.com. Uh, if you want to check that out, yes, and please yeah. do go check it out uh, again. Filmcastwithoutacause.com, uh, fantastic podcast uh, made by fantastic people. Oh, one you. one of whom just happened to be on. So, uh, thank you, Pat. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. It was a lot of yeah, fun. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, thanks, guys. Until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And uh, make your file name and password easy to remember. <laughs> One one zero zero one zero zero one. Yeah, yeah. Although that might be a security risk. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll see you. <ya. laughs>